I developed some really wonky health issues. I started fainting. I remember vividly one day I was sitting, working on a patient under anesthesia. My technician was with me. I'm sitting on the stool and I'm like, whoa, what? And I'm looking at the clock, counting my beats. And I'm like, I don't feel so great. And I see, you know, just typical like on TV, the foggy, everything is getting dark. It's tunneling. And I'm like, I'm going down. And I went down. Will Publishing. This is Blunt Dissection. I'm Dave Nichol. On today's show, I'm joined by Dr. Jessica Wilson. Jessica is a veterinarian and professional athlete. In fact, as of now, she holds a new record, being the first pro athlete to appear on Blunt Dissection. Jessica's journey into vet med began early when she decided at age four to become a vet. But from that moment, the odds seemed stacked against her and she had to overcome many obstacles. Growing up the daughter of a single mom who migrated to New York from the Dominican Republic, money nor culture was on her side. And she had to find a way to cope with the double rejection from vet school that nearly stopped her career before it even got started. Jessica's resilience was further put to the test and her career as stress began to cause some major health problems. But while she may be small in stature, Jessica possesses a drive and determination to overcome obstacles that is formidable and have helped her achieve success not only as a veterinary dentist, but also as a professional athlete in the world of bodybuilding. Initially, she took up bodybuilding as a way to manage the stress levels, but quickly fell in love with the sport and started to move up through the ranks to her current level, competing as a pro athlete on the professional circuit. Now, just before we jump into the episode, I wanted to drop a quick word from today's show sponsor, the VEDEX Thrive community. If you are a young vet looking to find your feet in veterinary medicine, grow your confidence, avoid burnout and beat your inner imposter, then VEDEX Thrive is for you. As a community member, you'll receive 12 success skill training modules, access to experienced mentors and incredible toolkits to help you thrive in your career. Access to the community is available for just $275. And if you use the promotional code PODCAST, you will receive a further 10% discount. Head to VerexThrive.com to take advantage of this offer and take control of your career. Back to Jessica. This native New Yorker has crammed a lot of living into her years on this earth and she shares openly with both her struggles and triumphs in equal measure. Hers is a tale of bodybuilding, not just the body actually, but also her mind as life kept on dishing out the challenges. There is a lot in this episode for anyone who wants to gain insight into finding balance in life through sport, getting clear on what matters and being laser focused on your why. I hope you find some wisdom and inspiration in her message. So without further ado, I present to you my conversation with Dr. Jessica Wilson. Dr. Jessica Wilson, welcome to Blunt Dissection. Thank you. Absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks for sparing us a, a little bit of your life. I think we're going to have My a great pleasure. conversation. My pleasure. So, I was recommended to have you on the podcast. You have a, a really interesting story because it's tortuous. It takes lots of different twists lots and turns and... Lots. and for a lot of you've almost had like multiple different careers at this point in a way time so we'll come on to that in a moment but i was out to dinner last night with a group of friends and a former colleague of yours jen said you're helping her to get in shape yep and she said basically you're a water nazi that's right what's that all about well 
Water is the basis of all life. We're made of right? it. Right? Yeah, we're made of it. I forgot the percentage. Don't ask me. However. It's my water bottle. Water bottle. Yeah, you I brought water because I was scared yeah. you were going to tell me off for not <laughs> drinking water. <laughs> That's right. No, well, I get a lot of questions about, um, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, about my, my hobby, my other profession. And how do I get in shape? And how do I look a certain way? And the first thing I ask someone, whoever it is, is, hey, how much water are you drinking? The answer is usually nil. Minimum. Does coffee and tea tea count? Tea and beer. Yeah. Does booze count? (laughs) So that's the big thing I I like to hit on. I ice in my old-fashioned last night. Does that count? (laughs) That'll count a little bit. (laughs) Somewhat offsetting. Oh, man. But water, 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 water. It's so, so important. And so when Jenny approached me about it, and she had approached me several times, and I just wasn't ready to give her my all. Yep. But when I did, that was the first thing. I'm like, Jenny. You're like six foot, a thousand. How much water are you drinking? I don't know, maybe half a liter a day. So uh, we worked on just getting her water intake up and she lost weight with just, just that alone within a week, just hydrating. Wait, that doesn't, it doesn't make that sense. messes my brain right. a little bit. So number one then, how much water should we be drinking? Oh. And why do you lose weight when you're drinking yeah. more water? Yeah. So how much water? There is a calculation, just like we calculate for our dogs and cats. It's so like 60 mils it's, per kilo. You know, gosh, you know, I'm so bad. I have to look at my cheat sheet because I don't remember. But I know how to calculate it all. Right. I just have to look it up. But I usually will tell people, aim for a gallon. Now, is that number right for everybody? No. But... It's, it's not impossible to do. What is that in liters? Is that like oh, three geez, it's like th- uh, it's almost three and a half, four. almost yeah, four. Yeah, liters. it's almost four. Right, almost four liters. So I feel like I failed already. <laughs> but you can get there. I'll get there. That's the thing. It's baby steps. It's all about okay. baby steps. Why does it make you lose weight? So why does it make you lose weight? So if you're dehydrated and you have a lot of adipose tissue, your body is going to try and hold on to as much water as it possibly can. Like I'm not thinking about like. 8 to 10% dehydrated cats and dogs that come into the clinic. Right, That's a right. completely different situation. Right. But when you are dehydrated, what's your what your body's going to want to hold on. So you become puffy and inflamed. Your hormones are all over the place potentially. So once you start hydrating, you know, it, it all has to do with physiology. It all has to do with our salt intake, you know, with all the stuff we learned in vet school. Yep. So once you get all of those factors running the way they're supposed to by hydrating, then your body's like, oh, let go of all of the swelling and the inflammation because we're functioning optimally because we have our fuel, which is water. Got it. So you'll de-bloat if you just increase your water intake and do nothing else. You're probably washing out a bunch of toxins. Yeah, absolutely. And the toxins. Absolutely. So I'm going to drink more water. That's right. He is. I'm in told. Yep. It might be quite a slurpy episode. It's <laughs> like guzzling water every like. I'm gonna actually do that. Let's do oh, it. This is audio. We're cracking open. This is a fun. I, actually, I promise this he, is not. He's doing it, guys. Wine. Go. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna chug a whole bottle Mm-mm. in one. Otherwise, I will. I mean, but you could. <laughs> and that would be like audio back. You know what I was audio thinking? richness. You know how people have like sound aversions. Yep. I wonder if that's gonna bug people. Oh, it might. That'd be it cool. Might. Cool feedback. I don't know. Like but it we'll, would we'll, be. We'll, we're all vets. You're all vets out there. <laughs> we become, talk about abscesses and become pus everyone. And become gross things. That's right. All right. So I'm interested to talk about your life. So we're going to come on to because you are an athlete, sponsored athlete, 
bodybuilding. So that is just an entirely fascinating niche to, to talk about. But let's pull it back. Tell us who Dr. Jess is and what was the start of your journey toward being a doctor? Ah, all right. Dr. Jess, I was the typical five-year-old, four-year-old that knew I'm going to be an animal doctor. Oh, you knew that. Oh, age. I knew. I knew. I knew. I didn't know what the functioning title would have been. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, yeah. you know, I didn't quite get that. And my background, just to give you, I'm kind of an open book here. So raised by a single mom through some hard times, hard, hard times. I'm from New York City. So that's my background. But my mom was very encouraging about, you know, you're going to get an education. She was an immigrant to this country from the Dominican Republic. I was born in the United States. English was actually my second language. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and it's just your environment. You yep. know, she didn't know the language very well. And yep. at home, we spoke Spanish and that was yep. that. But I very, very early on had an affinity to anything furry, yep. <laughs> anything with feathers, even scaly. Yep. So basically non-human creatures, except for bugs. Bugs, oh, no, can't do that. But... I always knew there's something about, well, wow, they don't have a voice. They don't have, they don't, if they don't feel well, well, oh my gosh, I'm going to help them and I'm going to be that advocate. And so I very, very early on knew the concept, knew what I wanted to do, knew that was my purpose in life. That was my calling. I just didn't, you know, as a four or five year old child, you can't formulate that thought process other than I want to help animals. Right, 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 right. So after letting my mom know that, like, I'm going to be an animal doctor, she was completely opposed. And and part of that is a cultural thing huh. with our background, Caribbean Islanders. Yep. It's changed today, but back then, what, that was, what, 30 years ago? More than was, 30 years ago. What was the cultural influence that made her think that you, that was not a good move? Right. So you? in the Dominican Republic, and a lot of Spanish culture, honestly, animals are not seen as family members. Right. And so they're more of a... They've got to work. So if you have a cat, it's got to it's got to hunt mice, they right? They have a function. Right, right. Where animals were even twenty. Yeah, or 30 years exactly, ago. exactly. And then, I mean, I think back now, I'm like, oh, that was thirty plus years ago. <laughs> oh goodness, Aging ourselves, right, yeah, right. But um, that was a hard pill for her to swallow. That yeah. I wanted to be in this field. Yeah. Veterinarians were not seen uh, as respected, um, which we still battle that today. But for her, her main concern as her only daughter was, oh, my gosh, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get bit. You're going to get scratched. You're going to get diseases, that sort of thing. And I'm like, well, mom, people do that, too. Yeah. And no, I don't want to be a people doctor. Yeah. I, not because I don't like people, but I just knew that wasn't my niche. And, right. and again, as a young child, I knew that. So over time, she warmed up to it did, as I educated her. Did you ping pong around... You know, was it always that single focus? There was never any diet, any wavering. And how did you, you know, for, for me, my journey, I didn't have that clarity that early. I would say like I went through the usual roster of dumb boy things mm. of like astronaut, fighter pilot, engineer, doctor. And one time they just, you know, as the, the wheel of fortune <laughs> pinged round <laughs> and they were like, oh, take engineer. And like, no, 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 we'll hold on for something better. Bit less boring than that, yeah. And then it went to like fire pilot, like no, next time oh, something sensible super fun comes though. up, let's go with that, <laughs> right? Yeah. And there was lots of influences. I remember telling an English teacher once, and honestly, I think I used to tell people what they wanted to hear mm. as a sort of please them yeah. sort of thing. I remember telling an English teacher I want to be a journalist, and as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I thought, "What the 
fuck did you say that for? Well, that, like, that's, where did that come but from? But look at you now, and in actually, a way. In many ways, that's sort of come true, <laughs> bizarrely. So was it always just a straight line for you? Or did you ping pong around? Or what were the influences that kept you steered in the right direction? It was always a straight line for me from the, I'm going to be a veterinarian aspect. Yep. But I also had other aspirations that now as an adult, 30 plus years later, I realize, holy shit, that's coming true as well. So what were those moments? Those moments where I want to be famous. <laughs> Not for selfish reasons yeah. at all. I want to be on a stage one day. I want to be on TV somehow. Yeah. I, because that was the media we had at the time. Right. I want to be known. Yeah. I didn't know exactly why. Yeah. I just knew I wanted to be that kind of center of attention without kind of making myself the focus, although inevitably that happens. Right. But that, and it just hit me a few months ago, wow, that mani that's manifesting. Yeah. It's manifesting. It just, it, it took time. Yep. It took time. So, huh. okay. so I, so I ping ponged a little bit with that vet med that, that was always my trajectory except for undergrad calculus <laughs> and physics. <laughs> I hear some, like, you guys over here do some crazy, th like, so you have to do a first degree and then you do your, do your DVM after that. And some of the things, it's actually really interesting to me, and apart from the, the horrible things it does to your bank balance oh. to have to do that. Right. But it is really interesting. I think there's a different grounding, perhaps, or more grounded or more balanced approach to veterinary medicine here in some ways, because you guys are so much more mature when you hit the front line, as it were. Yeah, I graduated when I was 22 as a vet. Oh, wow. Right. And, that, and that's not, I mean, I was young in my year. Right. But 22, 23, 24 is normal in the UK. Okay. And Australia and Europe. Here, though, like that's bonkers. Right. right? You know, like I, lots of my friends here, it was age 30 before they mm -hmm. became a doctor. They're, they've had their first kid in vet school right. kind of thing. But that looks to me like there's a more mature product somebody mm -hmm. because if i look back at my early career like 22 being a vet like i could barely look after myself right at that point let alone be responsible for other animals that was crazy i didn't get in right away to vet school right um so so that so talk about that let's yeah let's talk about that because i'll keep alluding to it and we'll get there but you're um, what you're doing now you know the level of training you put in to achieve the bodybuilding physique that you have there must be, I know we were talking before and you said you got injured and you know, there must be lots of moments along your pathway of challenge oh, yes. and having to overcome things. And I get the sense, and maybe that's something you know from your childhood as well, like growing up with a single mom and having quite a tough upbringing, there's already challenges coming in there. This is sort of a big overarching question, but talk me through some of your favorite challenges, if you, if you can look back at them and describe them as such. Because they maybe didn't feel like that at the time. They maybe felt like they were hell on earth. Mm -hmm. But what were the things that shaped you and gave you this, the, the strength, the mental toughness to be able to do what you do now and compete? So I think that's a relevant question for us all in veterinary medicine yeah. when we struggle with this concept of yeah. resilience. Yeah. The question is, how bad do you want it? Right. How bad do you want it? And everyone is different. And everyone's why is different. And so... So everyone's it is different Everyone's as well, it is it? different. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. What is it? And does it have to be fixed it? That took me a long time. You know, looking back at my behavior and the patterns, yep. I saw my mom struggle. Yeah. And I saw her overcome a lot. She protected me as much as she could. She shielded me as much as she could. But 
I'm a smart cookie. And I figured things out pretty quickly and I connected all of the dots. But when I was, for example, applying to vet school, yeah. Or I'll, I'll even take it back to that, back to, to undergrad. Okay. Because everything was kind of, all right, trajectory, everything is aligned. Yeah. Like, okay, grade school, high school, got into the undergrad that I wanted to get into, decided I'm going to pick a major. I have a degree in anthropology. Wait, you have calculus, anthropology, and veterinary medicine? Well, the calculus was part of just the prerequisites. Okay. So that, that like everybody had to do that. But I had the adversity of getting into a school that did not have a pre-veterinary program. So I kind of had to wing it a whole lot. Yeah. Um, I went to NYU for my undergrad, and it was just pre-med, 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 and I had to assimilate. You know, I'm like, well, screw that. I'm going to vet school somehow, someday, don't know when it'll be, but all right, I'm going to make this program. I'm going to modify it. I'm going to make it my own. I decided, let me pick a not so sciencey major, right? Yep. Because gosh, we're scientists, right? We're right. going to be in this world the rest of our lives if it's what we choose. So I picked anthropology because it was kind of sciencey, but not so much. And hey, it's something new. Why not have fun with it, right? Because I knew that wasn't the end goal. So, um, when I hit those tough courses, like biochemistry, physics, and calculus, calculus was the one that almost broke me. <laughs> Legitimately. I actually had to, I knew I was failing the course, and I actually had to get a withdrawal. So I withdrew, or I, I applied for pass-fail, like that yeah. was an option. But I knew I'd have to retake it. And yeah. I decided, oh, fuck this shit. Like, I'm not doing this. I'm, I'm going to be a psychologist so that was the one second of doubt I had. And by some miracle, I knew I passed that damn final, the calculus final, with like 100. I knew. I just knew. And at the very end, and it was like two days before Christmas, it was the last final. I go up to the professor and I'm like, look, look at this. And he said, his eyes lit up and he's like, yes, okay. And I just knew. So then I had to go and I rescinded the withdrawal and all this, that, and the other. I got a C. Great. (laughs) (laughs) You made it. I got a C. I made it. And then I was back on track. And I didn't let, you know, because of course we we want that 4.0. Gosh, I think the grading system's changed now. It's like 5.0. But, you know, we want that. Some of us are very type A. I don't consider myself type A. But some of us are very like, no, it has to be perfect and we have to get it right I thought, well, this is going to just have to work because I'm not repeating this damn course. So that was the one the one moment of doubt, but I wanted it. I so wanted it. And I thought, well, that's not going to stop me. So I applied to vet schools. And your moment of doubt, how did you turn it around? How long did it take to turn it around? I mean, it was it was a couple of weeks. Yeah. It, was, it just didn't feel right. You do anything to dig yourself out of the uh, hole? I studied my ass off. <laughs> I looked at every old exam, I, you know, kind of the same tactics that we take in vet school, you right. know, look at the old exams, get the patterns down, understand the material, of course, because you never know what your professor is going to throw at you. But I busted my ass. I had a different type of motivation yep. and I knew switching. It wasn't me. It didn't feel right. Being a psychologist, I mean, in some ways we are, right? <laughs> so it's connecting dots, but it just didn't feel organic and it didn't feel right. Yeah. So I still busted my ass to make something of those last two weeks. Right. And it worked out. I moved forward and I was able to continue to take the next courses and the next courses. Yep. So I very quickly, once I found out I passed, you know, with the C, hey, C's passing, I got back on the horse or continued because I was still kind of on. After that, I graduated, applied to vet school, didn't get in. How did that feel? Horrible. But it didn't stop me. 
I thought, all right, what am I going to do with my time now? All right, I can go get more education. Well, that doesn't make sense financially at the time. Or I had a job at an animal hospital. Or I can learn as much as I freaking can, make connections, network, apply next year. Right. And I did. Let's talk about that. Dig dig in. So what did you do to... So you've got a single focus here to get to vet school. And many of us had that. In fact, we all had that because it was a hard thing to achieve. You bounce back. What do you do? What networking did you do? Um, What connections were you making? Like, what was your strategy? Because it worked. Yeah, it worked. It worked. I identified what my deficiencies in my applications were. So I didn't have any large animal experience being from New York City. It is not much in the way of large animals. So I uh, called every stable I could find. I mucked stalls. I went to shelters. I mean, anything that I can dabble in to get to know someone that could be either a reference just really really dive into what i'm gonna get myself into it's not just puppies and kittens and well we know it's not all about that but (laughs) networking with other animal hospitals not just the one i was employed by contacting universities just any anything that i could do i would reach out to as many people as i could and back then we didn't have the internet the way we do now so it was a lot of legwork it was a lot of just stopping by facetime not in the apple facetime but you know really meeting people real facetime real facetime like we're doing right Right. Yeah, which is awesome. So that definitely helped. So I applied again. Guess what happened? I didn't get in. Ooh. Same school? Same schools. Is there a maximum number of times you can apply to one school? No. No, you no but the, I mean, there's there's a number where, you know, you realize hmm, maybe this isn't maybe for this, you. Yeah, 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 right. Like, are you being delusional? Well, right. Is it madness? When does, when does it become this is too hard or I am delusional versus I need to stay focused? This is just feedback. Oh, that is a really, is it never really <laughs> good question. For that in my life, it was never, yeah. the no was never an option. So it comes back to the how, how bad, how do, you bad want do you want it. it. So what happened the second time? So now what are you thinking? Yeah, so the second time, applied again, I was better prepared. My GRE scores. So I, I thought I was a good test taker. So the GRE, score? oh, it's an entrance examination. Got it. So it's a graduate school entrance examination, um, similar to the MCAT for medical for, for human medical school, okay. the LSAT for law school. There may be new tests today in age, I don't know, but back then it was a GRE. So my scores were not great. So I thought, huh, all right take it over. I studied, 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 took it over. No improvement, (laughs) except for the logic section that didn't count. Oh. Yeah. So took it again. I mean, marginal improvement, but not really. And so I still applied again, but then I realized I've got to think outside the box. The U.S. schools are giving me the same answers. Right. So let me look outside. I just looked at once. I looked at one, my alma mater, Ross. Right. I just looked at the one. Yep. And their their HQ is in Edison, New Jersey, and I'm from New York. And I thought, you know, this is the let me give myself the one because for me, like third time's a charm, and that's been a consistent theme in my life. And third time was the charm. It is the only school that offered me an interview. Hmm. I went to the interview. They pretty much offered me the spot, even though they weren't supposed to tell me that. Yep. On the spot, and so I I knew, but I don't celebrate anything until I get it confirmed. Right. right. So. That was not a miracle. It was just I needed to be in the right environment and I needed to think outside the box. Single focus right. and determination to overcome. Yeah. You said an interesting thing just then. You know, three's a charm. That's been a recurrent mm-hmm. theme. Where else has that shown up in your life? I have a number. I have a number shows up in my life over and over and over again. And it's 529. It was my oh. phone number in my house when I 
grew up in a little village just outside of, you know, it's like 300 people live yeah. in this village in rural Scotland. And then my telephone number is 850529. But it started out as 529 before they introduced area yeah, codes, yeah. just three digits. That's how few people You there just are gave everybody Scotland. your number. I just got mine now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> this, this, was, this was 40 years ago. Back in the day. Back in the day. Yes. I see that number. And I don't know, you know, there must be some science to this. And I, I wonder if I'm just making up a connection where there isn't. But it's weird. I see that number. It's not weird at all. Over and over. Try not to attribute anything to it, but I'm like, it's almost like there was an episode of Star Trek. I don't know if you're into Star yeah. Trek, right? <laughs> I remember there's an episode for Picard and it's three. The number is three and, the, and, and they're in this, stuck in this loop. And I actually is, legitimately remember that. Right. And it's With the Deanna pips on his the, shoulder yeah. and they have to choose what Riker's saying, not what Picard's saying. And they keep working with Picard's idea because he's single focused about it. And I think Data is just slightly out of the loop and he's and it's three. Someone's programming in three. Yeah. And eventually they're like, it's the three pips, go yeah. with that. And it's so it's that thing. So I'm fascinated by recurring things I'm like I'm sweating. I'm sweating. Numbers. So this is the woo-woo side of me, you guys. Numbers. I just realized within the recent years have been so important and and that that could be a whole conversation in and of itself but I'll 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 touch on it in the way it's applied to my life because I see some very consistent numbers yeah. almost on a daily basis okay. even to be significant this weekend so threes um other times that that has come into play my residency yep and the way I got my residency along with going professional in bodybuilding yeah it was my third national show that okay. got me pro. Yep. And with, oh God, I'm like, my mind is blown <laughs> right now just in thinking about this. Now, internship was pretty standard. I matched where I wanted to be and that, that was good. But I developed an interest while I was down at Ross in St. Kitts on the island. One of my cats and, and I couldn't take all my animals with me. Um, so how, how many animals were you talking? At the time, four, four cats, okay. four kitties. Yeah, someone did say, because I, I do a little background research for her. Yeah. said, she's legit a crazy cat I lady. sure am. <laughs> and proud I of said, it. I said, will she mind me saying that? She said, nah, she's totally proud oh, of no, it. Oh, no, no, yeah. It's, it's my, I mean, they are my world. But I love my dogs. Yeah. And I love dogs, but cats are everything to me. So I tattooed my cat's face on my side. I mean, that's how, like, the kind of legitimate crazy cat lady I am. But my kitties couldn't go with me, or, or I made the decision of, hey, I'm just, let's leave them behind. They yeah. were under very good care, and yeah. one of them broke a tooth. I was maybe months away from ha- leaving the island to go to clinicals. My kitty broke a tooth. I didn't know about dentistry, but I knew, I'm like, I want to be a specialist yep. because I really want to be good at one thing. Yep. I don't know that I could be good at all of the things. Yep. I just, I want to pick one thing, and I want to have quality of life, and I want to be good at the one thing. Because I don't believe in multitasking. Me neither. That's a whole That's a whole other, other conversation. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. So Fine, I'm going to make a note. We're coming back. We're to coming that. back to that. Kitty broke a tooth and I didn't know what to do, but I'm like, I don't want the tooth out. Like he's only four or five. Let's fix this. Yep. And a friend of mine who is now a boarded dentist, he did a non-traditional residency. He was doing GP and he and I, are, I need to call him, but um, he said, hey, have him see Carmichael in Long Island. And I'm like, wait, who, what, huh? To do a what? A root canal? What's that? Wait, what? That's a thing. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm on the island. I'm like freaking out because oh, he broke a tooth. And so I talk to, I, I call him. I call Dan Carmichael. He's awesome. And he's like, oh yeah, no, we, we can, we can do this. Like, let's just get him over. So my ex-husband at the time, who was this care, you know, the caretaker, drove him out to Long Island. They did a root canal and everything was great. Everything was awesome. And then I was like, oh snap, that's what I want to do. Ping. Yeah. I didn't think I was going to do that ever yep. in my life. I thought yep. about internal medicine and then yep. I'm like, oh, too chronic. Ugh. I don't want to be friends with people for that long. <laughs> I just want to make them feel better. And then I thought surgeon and I'm like, I want quality of life. <laughs> I don't want to be on call. I want to not worry about my patients dying in, you yep. know, because they're critical and it's, yep. the, you know, the septic abdomen, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm like, wow, this is per. And I get to do radiology, which I love. I get to do anesthesiology, which I absolutely adore. Yep. It was the right fit at the time. At the time. At the time. So in multitasking in dentistry, I think we're sharing opinions and perhaps professional loves here. Mm. So the cat inspires you to go to do your dental residency. Yeah. What happens next from there? That was a whole process as well. Very competitive. Yeah. Not very many out there. To get into dental, not many people like dentistry. No. So I'm talking yesterday and I didn't know you were into dentistry yeah. and you put your hand uh, yeah. I asked, asked the, the audience you know who's into dentistry yeah and it was about 15 percent of people in the room which is it's a different. very large amount yeah here it's better oh is in, it in the UK it'd be like because here I'm like that's n- that's like nothing like yeah. no one wants to do it everybody hates it they make their technicians do it right right it is a love of mine absolutely yep. absolutely and I've done a lot of good but it just wasn't the right fit for me now I'll get into that so I knew, all right, well, I have to do an internship. That's going to fast track me to get a residency. So applied for an internship, went back home to New York, got my internship in, in Brooklyn, Verg, which uh, is an amazing practice. Because I'm always non-conventional. Everybody's like, oh, you're going to AMC. I'm like, mm, no, I don't want to go there. Or you're going to go academic. I'm like, no, I don't want to be in the ivory tower. Mm. I want to be in the everyday thick of it. Yep. So I picked a, a private practice right. um, to do my internship. So great experience. I mean, I absolutely immediately identified that emergency medicine is not for me. I mean, I had diarrhea every single damn day that from I was on stress. emergency from stress. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got salmonella poisoning. I mean, it messed me up. Wow. So I got through it. And everyone would make fun of me like, she wants to be a dentist. What? And that like, happens, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. That's the thing. Yeah. We're a bunch of weirdos. This annoys the absolute <laughs> sweet living Jesus out of me. I know. Because why do we spend so much time? Right. Let's go in our dental yeah, soapbox. Yeah, let's do it. Why do we spend so much time learning about crap that we're never going to do at college? Like mm-hmm. watching, watching the spinal surgery that you're never going to do. Ever. You're, you're going to refer, refer it. Yet we spend almost no time, like a day compared to our human colleagues doing yep. five years or four yep. years or whatever. And I had to explain that to so many clients. And it's a hundred percent morbidity. Mm-hmm. Why the hell do we do that? And how do we change? Like, how do we change how it? How do we change that? It's education. And that's where, that is where we're, I think we fail the community, not just our colleagues, but yep. the community education. So vet schools, you guys need to step it up and get with the program because the majority of your veterinarians are going out into private practice. And guess what? The majority of the revenue for private practice is dentistry. It's an easy form of revenue. And oh, by the way, the majority of patients over a certain age, two, younger than that, depending on the breed, they're going to have periodontal disease. That's already a disease. It's, yep. it's just get with the program, vet schools, all of you, push it. You know, and it causes stress, doesn't it? Because there's nothing with such a rapid learning curve. Mm-hmm. It's not super steep. No. It's not like doing 
I mean, you're not doing root canals in GP. Of course. It's, it's the basics. There's case availability. The equipment is not expensive to get. And it's a matter of having a focus. Well, like, a, like a graduate can learn to be a decent dentist within six months. Very easily. And take away a massive amount of the stress in their day. And also the compassion for DK. Like you hear vets all day long talking about, oh, I hate when clients say no to my recommendation. You're like, well, you've got to make a better recommendation. Right. And then you hate doing something. You're not going to do that. Absolutely. Drives me crazy. Same. (laughs) (sighs) So why did it not work out in dentistry then? But it's not what you're doing now. No, it's not what I'm doing now. And we're fast forwarding a little bit, but the residency was a dream come true from the standpoint of I got it third time. It was a, it was one of the three things. It's It's like I did the match, didn't work out. They, I interviewed at Penn. It was wonderful. It was magic, but they already knew they were going to select someone else. That made sense. But they're like, Hey, apply next year. Hint, 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 wink, wink. I'm like, okay, cool. I interviewed with Illinois, but again, same thing. There was already a selection kind of made. They were just kind of going through the motions. And so then I get a call from my former mentor from VCA. Hey, we're going to start this program. And. We got your name from Illinois. What do you think? I'm like, okay, let's do this. There's a lot that I would change if I could, but I accepted the position. I I interviewed, accepted the position. I knew I would end up in California. Hardship that would be. Right, exactly. Not right for everyone, but it was right for me. And many years prior to that, I visited out here, San Diego, actually. I kind of in joking said, I'm going to live here one day. <laughs> well, I, I'm here. <laughs> right, right. I'm here. We're doing this interview here in San Diego. So it's a very special place to me. But did my residency. It was a two-year program. Um, two years was not enough in a private practice setting. Private practice is hard. I, I have a very good friend who's done that in the UK. And it's been a maybe a five to seven year yeah, process. Oh, so non-traditional pathway. Yeah. So, and so they're eliminating the non, or they have already eliminated the non-traditional pathway, I believe. And any program that was two year, I think they increased it to three. And yep. I'm a prime example as to why that had to happen. Right. Two years is not enough time when you're in a clinical setting. When you're in a clinical setting, you are working. Yeah. You are. So your surgical skills are going to be amazing. Yep but your didactics are going to be lacking. Yep. So like, don't ask me about a reference for whatever journal, for whatever. I don't know. I will look it up. And, like, your, that's and your time to head. actually do and that time. background work yeah. is crushed, isn't it? Yeah, you don't have it. Yep. You just don't have it. So that was a challenge for me. Lack of support in that sense yeah. where it is a business. Yep. And no, it's not academic, even if you're in a teaching clinical hospital setting. So for me, it was the rush, 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 get all the skill set because, oh, by the way, you're going to start this practice or continue this practice out in the new place in California. And so that was a lot of pressure. And I had developed some pretty serious health issues during my residency. Stress related. Hell again. yeah. It was all stress because it's all resolved. What was, what was your, <laughs> ma- I mean, and you don't have to, you don't have to provide oh, details, but because right. I've. I, the details are important in a sense. I, yeah. Because yeah. we can swap stress related detail Mm -hmm. stories Mm -hmm. because i think that's one of the things that is very important i think messaging for people who are in positions of you know people will look up to you balls my brain anyone would look up to me but there's a reality (laughs) that once you become a bit more public and you're you know you're influencing people through social or through speaking that there's almost a responsibility to to me anyway to feel like be authentic absolutely and not just to paint it you know, I think one of the challenges we face with the Instagram world is that we filter things. And I know from the bodybuilding side, that's super important, isn't it? Very. But behind that, there's a story. There's a real Absolutely. person. And we all go through shit. Mm-hmm. 
So what did your version of shit? So my version of shit, like profuse, ongoing shit. Shit. (laughs) That Bristol stool chart. I mean, I was, what was diarrhea score? It's like a one. I don't know. Imagine that. So that was my life for a little bit. So I was going through some major, going through the divorce, going through the pressures, self-induced pressures in a way of like, oh my God, I have to finish this residency. I get boarded or at least credentialed. Like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Not taking care of myself. Knowing... I'm by myself. I've never been by myself. And now I have to move to another state by myself. Oh, by the way, be successful at this practice, make revenue. Those were my thoughts at the time of, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. My mentor at the time said, but guess what? You're the only one in that building that's going to know everything there is to know about dentistry. No one's going to know. So you're going to be the smartest person in that damn building. Yep in regards to your field. So calm down. And that helped. But so much self-induced pressure. I developed some really wonky health issues. I started fainting. I remember vividly one day I was sitting working on a patient under anesthesia. My technician was with me, Sarah, who I love. I'm sitting at rest, calm. Everything's going beautifully smoothly. It was very, you know, quote unquote routine. I don't like using that word for dentistry because nothing is routine, but very simple periodontal therapy, nothing crazy. Nothing. Nothing was out of the ordinary with the anesthesia, but I felt my heart beating out of my chest. Oh, wow. I was tachycardic. And yep. I'm like, ah, my heart rate's at 120, 130, Sarah. What's going on? Like, is the dog okay? So I'm thinking, maybe the dog's not okay, and I just haven't I haven't noticed, and maybe I'm just sensing it. She's like, no, everything's fine. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm kind of freaking out, but I was very sedate, even though I was tachycardic. So I'm sitting on the stool, and I'm like, whoa, what? And I'm looking at the clock counting my beats and I'm like I don't feel so great and I see you know just typical like on TV the foggy you know the glass is sliding down everything is getting dark it's tunneling and I'm like I'm going down and I went down it was a slow down yeah as graceful as I can be but I'm like the dog I don't want to fucking lose the dog (laughs) and I'm down on the ground and that was terrifying and and I and and the dog was fine and someone took over and it was fine the patient was okay but i didn't understand what was happening to me how long were you out for i mean i I wasn't fully fully out because it got me down and i was able to like re-equilibrate but it was scary because then i started having the thoughts of what if this happens while i'm driving yeah what if i kill myself what if i kill someone else what if i lose a patient because i couldn't act quickly or think critically that was concerning and i had some other health issues some are going to be tmi and i won't share but all stress related and um it was a wake up but i hadn't woken up yet i should have but i hadn't so i'm like i'm still going i'm still going and and then you're you're now ratcheting on more self-talk about oh yeah the what ifs the what ifs Uh uh crank the pressure right and i'm like all right how do i i'm I'm stressed so i'm like all right i can identify that problem i'm stressed maybe that's why that's happening and most vets we're stubborn we don't go to the doctor Oh, no. No, no, no. So my solution was, okay, I need to take a day. Oh, hell yeah. We can do it all. And we can, but sometimes we we need to reset and, uh, you know, because we're going to break. And so I didn't realize how close to breaking I was. So my solution was, I need to go out and have a good time. I need to unwind. I need to de-stress. So I would go out and I would, like, Thursday nights, I'd go out with my friend and we'd go to this. We'd just dance. We'd dance. We'd have fun. We'd drink. We'd, you know, kind of, it was partying. Just one night a week, but right. it was enough to throw me off even more so. Yeah. I was I didn't realize I was under eating because I was trying to be healthy, right? So I'm yep. like, oh, I'm cleaning up my diet. I'm gonna start doing some exercise. I'm gonna start running. I'm gonna, you know, I'm thinking of ways of how can I take care of myself and I'm going to therapy and all this, that, and the other. 
but I'm still having these spells where I'm, I'm tachycardic yep. and I'm having arrhythmias. Are they panic attacks or adrenalized? Yet. Not yet. I was falling into patterns that were not good. And it was, it was starting to really affect me. And then I had the, I got the diagnosis of what was wrong with me because I realized, oh, I have to go to the doctor. So I went to cardiologist. They put a Holter monitor on me. Yep. That was an interesting experience. Yep. Nothing was super crazy, crazy abnormal. So then they're like, okay, we're going to have to do this test. It's called the tilt table test. Ooh. Yeah. So you show up, they put an IV in just in case they strap you into this table. It looks very like archaic and kind of scary. And they've got the ECG, you know, they have all the monitoring equipment on you. They test different angles and certain angles will induce the fainting event. Ooh. Within 12 minutes, I was out. Ah. 12 minutes. So I'm having conversation with the nurse because he's monitoring me and I'm like, you know, talking, I don't even know. And I could see the monitor and my heart rate's starting to go up. And then it's going down. And so it was like at 60, then it was up to 80, and then it was down to 70 and up to 90, and then down to 80, and then up to 130, and then I was out. And it was terrifying. And so that was the diagnosis. I was diagnosed with neurocardiogenic syncope. Wow. Wah, wah, what's wah. the... How does that man like I can hear it manifest? It, but yeah. where's the where's the etiology? Yeah, like, uh, so, so is that a stress? It's a stress and do yeah. So so and of course I'm doing tons of research. So etiology is kind of a blur statistically. I just don't have the studies and I don't recall the data. But yeah. the majority of people that get the condition tend to be in their 30s. You know, yeah. late 20s, early 30s. Very prevalent in professional fields. Yeah. Yep. Stress, yep. stress, stress, stress. So yep. at the time I was very, and I'm like, I'm not a medicator, but I knew I was kind of cuckoo at the time. Yep. And the cardiologist is like, hey, you know, if you don't take these meds and they put me on an anticholinergic yep. and Levson and an antidepressant and anti-anxiety. And I'm like, I don't need this shit. I don't have anxiety. I don't, I'm not depressed. I just yep. have this. It's like, well, if you don't do this and we don't get this under control, it's your heart rate. You're going to need a pacemaker. And I'm yep. like, oh, fuck that. Give me the meds. <laughs> Give me them. Give me the meds. Give me the meds. I don't need this. And how quickly can I be off of them? That yep. was my first question. Right, right. Minimum six months. So I'm like, all right, fine. That's fine. I understand the gravity of the situation. So I leave the hospital, drive myself home, even though I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> Stubborn. And this was the wake up call. And it all happened in the same day. And it was terrifying. And I might get a little choked up because reliving it is hard. But I end up uh, meeting up with my ex-husband. He's the one person I knew. The one kind of constant. We had lunch. We went and had like, oh, you can eat sushi. And, we're, you know, telling him what's going on. And, and we were just friendly. And I'm in the restaurant. And this has never happened to me before. And I never quite understood it. And I never really, you know, when you hear people having panic attacks, you're like, just snap freaking out of it. Yeah. No. No, 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 nothing like that. I felt like the world was caving in and it just, it just happened. Everything was fine. It yep. wasn't a stressful meeting at all. Yep. It was good. Everything was fine. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I have to get out of here. I have to go outside. I have to go outside right now. Yep. I felt the world. I felt claustrophobic. I felt the world caving in on me. I felt this intense pressure and I was starting to sweat. My heart rate was up and I'm like, I have to get out. I have to get outside. I have to get outside. And I knew I just needed to lay down. Yeah. I just had to get on the floor, but I couldn't communicate this fast enough. My brain was going, going, going. Yeah. I'm like, I have to go outside. I have to go outside. I'm panicked. And he's like, okay, oh God. And I'm like, I'm starting to walk and I'm starting to fall. Barely made it outside and I hit the ground. I hit the ground. He comes outside. He's trying to raise me up. I'm like, no, 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 put me down. And there was an MD in the, in the restaurant, luckily. Yeah. And he comes out, checks me. My vitals are actually okay. 
I'm breathing. My heart rate's okay, but I just was out of it. They called the medics. I knew the hospital was five seconds away, which was great, where I lived. And the paramedics pick me up, get me strapped in, get the IV going. They start, they were engaging in conversation so they can keep me conscious. And they asked me to spell my name. And I'm like, all right, J-E-S-S, literally. Yeah. And I'm slurring my speech. And I'm like, fuck my life. In my head, I'm totally cognitively there. Yep. But my body is not listening at this point. And I'm getting like sensations about this. But I started to slur my speech. So where does my brain go? It's like, oh my God, I'm having having a stroke. stroke. I'm 31, 32, whatever. I was 32, I think, at the time. And I'm like, how in the world am I having a stroke? This isn't right. This isn't right. And then I'm like, no, 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 it's hypoxia. It's hypoxia. You know, I'm at the end of the day, self-diagnosis, hypoxia to the brain really affects you. They never really could figure out what was going on. So I end up in the hospital. By that point, it wasn't just I couldn't speak. I was actually paralyzed. All my motor was gone. Oh my God. Yeah. My motor was gone. So your brain's still, oh, yeah. everything's there. Everything's there. I'm looking at the, I can move my eyes. I can kind of move my head. I can breathe. I can make some guttural sounds Yep. and I could think and I can kind of move my head, just, just move my eyes really. So yep. I'm in this bed. Yep. They're running all the tests. Nothing was really, my, my potassium was like a little smidget low. They re, they supplemented, mm, didn't really help. And they couldn't find anything wrong with me at the moment. So they're like, well, you might have MS. I'm like, well, fuck that. I can't verbalize this. So it's all in my head. I'm like, this is stupid doctors. I don't have MS. Okay, I'm helpless here. So I have to just kind of sit here and do what you say. So I'm like, all right, we're going to MR your brain. I'm like, cool, it's going to be normal. And it was. Okay, so now what? There was nothing medically they could do other than keep me there for observation. Within a few hours, I decide, well, I had to pee, right? Because yep. they, yep. they pump you with fluids. And yep. I'm like, oh my God, I have to pee. So I was able to communicate like, I need to pee. I got to pee. What's going to happen? I'm going to pee myself. Oh gosh. So it was busy at night in the ER. The nurse brings the bedpan over. They get me positioned and I pee. And then I sit in it because they just couldn't get back to me fast enough, oh, right? Yeah, 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 so it wasn't yeah. like a negligence. It yep. was just like, oh, I have to sit here for five minutes until they can get to me. And I'm like, I could feel my butt sitting in my pee because this yep. is TMI, guys. <laughs> We're vets, right? That was the moment. I'm sitting in my urine. Yep. And I thought, I'm getting out of here. I can't be here. I'm not going to be here. I'm not doing this. This isn't, what, this isn't right. I know what's wrong with me. It was hypoxia to my brain. I'm going to get out of here. I got to move. I have to move. So I just... For hours, all I could think of is move, 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 just move something. My thumb, my right thumb started moving. And I'm like, yeah, like high five to myself, pat on the back. I'm like, all right. So it started there. I was able, I regained, I regained some movement. Um, and then I could wiggle my toes and then I could move my left hand. And then I checked myself out of the hospital six hours later, AMA. Wow. And I went home and... I hadn't started the meds yet because I got the diagnosis that same day, yeah, right? right? And so I felt like I got hit by a train for about a week. Couldn't work. So this is all like I'm still residency time. So I'm like freaking out about that. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to start this antidepressant even though I don't want to. And I know I'm not depressed. It's a situational thing. Yeah. I'm in a stressful time in my life, but let's do this. And I started and I was completely apathetic for about six weeks. Gone numb. Zombie. Yep. Yeah. And then all of a sudden one day I woke up and everything was awesome, except that I knew it was fake. Yeah. That was my wake up call. And I thought, okay, I really have to change my life. Something's got to change. And I'm going through therapy through all of this. And um, my therapist is like, no, no, what do you do for you? What's the one thing? And I'm like, I don't have anything. 
I don't. I have my dog and I take her for walks, but I don't do anything. Then I got rear-ended. Then, I mean, the negative, like the shit storm just kept happening. And then I started getting massage and I'm like, all right, that helps. But what am I really doing for me? So then I decided I'm going to go to the gym. Never lifted a weight in my life, really. I'd yep. done some like programs at home, you know, get a yep. disc like P90X, that kind of thing. And I met a trainer and I linked up with her and that's kind of, that kind of started things for me. My friend, the one I used to party with, she's like, get an Instagram account. And I'm like, what the hell is Instagram? What's a hashtag? And this was like 2012, 2011, 20, it was like Instagram was starting and I was on Facebook and I was kind of active, but I'm like, what is this? This is crap. I don't have time for this. I signed up. I didn't know how to use it. I'm opening up. You're opening it up. Oh, gosh. Oh, God. Are you going to look at the first post? Let's. (laughs) I got an Instagram account. That was, you know, I'm like going through and I'm like reading, you know, learn people's lives. Oh, cool. Your post. It's like Facebook, but a little less engaging. And okay, cool. I can swing with this. And then I start seeing, you know, the Explorer page. And it's it's way more evolved now than it was then. But I start seeing some some women and they're really pretty young women. And they're in in these these glittery bikinis in clear heels. So I'm like, wait, stripper heels? What? It, wait, whoa, hold on, what's going on here? So I start looking into it, and I'm like, oh, they're not strippers. <laughs> they're just normal people. Some of them are even professionals, you know, in in whatever they do. And I realize, oh my god, it's bodybuilding. Wait for women, and I don't have to look like a man. What? So that's what started it. The dream of the bodybuilding, and I can get into how it all happened, but that's what that's what happened. I had that wake up call. You know, you're all right now, right? Like, yeah. You're not oh any yeah. Of those I mean, I'm now. still crazy in, in a different way. No, I'm I'm we're healthy all, now. We're I'm, all crazy. We're all crazy. We're all just our own version Don't of it. Don't fight it because you're crazy. Maybe brilliant. You're crazy. Yeah. Couldn't agree with that more. Yep. How did things transform from there? So you've gone to the gym. Mm-hmm. You've seen this vision of what vision. could be. Yeah. What happens next? So what happens next? So I got to move to California because yep. it was time. My residency was done. I completed my clinical hours. Yep. Wasn't credentialed yet, but I knew I had to move I, yep. and it was time. Yep. So I did. I moved out to California and I didn't know anyone, but I still had this, like, I want to be a bodybuilder and I'm in California. Wow. What a perfect place to be, right? Because it was born here, the Mecca, Venice Beach, yep. you know, Arnold, Muscle Beach. Muscle Beach it's all. I was such an Arnold fanboy when i was yeah little. So, i mean everybody was i was yeah. a fangirl i mean it's yeah. it's arnold he is the trailblazer the main there are many there are mm. many but the globally people Absolutely. know arnold arnold is the trailblazer for the sport he is the one that really set the path for yeah. so many and and there are other athletes of his caliber but they weren't actors you know they, they didn't have the fame that he achieved yeah. globally you know in the bodybuilding world they're, they're absolute all-stars but yeah. glo- you know someone in india is, is going to know who arnold is versus i don't know there's so many yeah arnold paved the way and so i'm in california i'm in the mecca i'm literally in the mecca so i'm like all right this is going to happen but all at the same time i'm like having these imposter syndrome issues that i didn't know i had until i figured that out two years ago and i'm like no no, no i have to start this practice but oh my god i need a social life like i'm by myself i gotta i can't be a hermit like i'm used to being are you having the imposter syndrome issues over working the clinic and being a dentist everything Everything. it was everything it was everything obviously the pressure professionally right was the main kind of issue for me i just didn't know i had the issue you know so i'm i'm really trying to focus on all right i'm in this practice i'm all by myself oh my god my mentor's not here if like there's something that i like look up but no i had the skill set i was ready i was ready i didn't have the letters but i was damn good you're good enough 
I'm damn good. I'm going to toot my own horn. I'm pretty damn skilled. But I knew I needed a life outside of vet med. And so I, in socializing and, you know, like I have to find this, I have to find a gym and I'm not the type of like 24 hour fitness, like the corporate kind of meathead gyms. And so I'm like, let me try something different. I, I, I live in Huntington Beach and I still, I lived there. I still live there, just different place. And I'm like, I don't want to go to a 24, but let me see what else is out there. And I saw a fight shop, OTM, mm-hmm. and there was a woman on a poster that looked like a bikini competitor or, or like a bodybuilder, but she had some MMA gloves on. And I'm like, you know, let me, let me go in there. Something called me to that place. And I'm like, let me just go. It's like a little hole in the wall. I'm going to go in there. And so I, I walk in, don't know what to expect. There's a woman on, behind the counter and I'm like, oh, cool. Okay. There's a girl less intimidating, right? right. It's a fight store. I don't, I'm not into fighting. And I'm like, hey, so I just moved here and I'm trying to find a gym and I want to be a bodybuilder and I'm not like a corporate gym type of person. And she's like, hey, go to this one particular gym down the street, HB Ultimate Training. And you might find what you're looking for. She literally said that. You might find what you're looking for there. I found my husband there. (laughs) (laughs) So I did find what I was, I just didn't know I was looking for it at the time. But that's a whole story in itself. But I I walk in and it's like, okay, take a kickboxing class. Try something new, right? Yep. I meet this man. (laughs) I'm still Twitter-pated and it's been five or six years. But um, I meet him and then I meet some other people and I make some connections and I go to a supplement store and meet my first coach. And it's like, all right, well, I didn't know. I'm like, all right, I know I have the vision of I want to be on the stage, but I've never done a competitive sport in my life. I've never been on a stage before. I don't know. What if I freeze? I don't know if this is for me, but you know what? Damn it. I need to try it. So I started a prep and that's that's bodybuilder talk for preparation for a show. Usually it's about three to four months, depending on kind of where your starting point is. So I start this prep. Yep. And I didn't take it super seriously. Sorry, Eric, if he listens to this. But I didn't take it super seriously. But it taught me a lot about the discipline. And I wasn't as disciplined as I am now, for sure. But it taught me, all right, it taught me how to lift because I had to learn, obviously, how to do the exercise really correctly so I can build the muscles that I needed to. Stage presentation. So I, I hired a coach for that. And the glitter bikini, you know, all of it kind of came together. And I did my first show. And I'm dating this guy. So he's only ever known me being on a restricted diet and, you know, being the crazy bodybuilder and getting hangry. So it's different now. But back then, I mean, this is and he was he's an athlete himself. So he respected and he was supportive. So I get on stage March 2014. It was my first show. I can't even recollect hearing anything. Thank God I have video of it. I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't see anything. But damn it, I nailed it because I persistently practiced and I placed what I qualified for national. Now, the the way it works is you do a local show and if you place top three or top two now, they made it more competitive, then you can qualify for a national show. At a national show, if you either get first place or second, depending on the show, you then become a professional. So I qualified for a show. Looking at my physique back then, great physique. I'm proud of it. It wouldn't cut it today. But this was five years ago. Yep. And so I just remember feeling elation. It was exhilarating. I'd never done anything like that before in my life. It was terrifying. But oh my God, I nailed it. And I had a blast. And I made amazing friends. And I was hooked. 
hooked. Is the friend circle good? Oh, um, you very. Know, there is, it's a competitive sport. It's very competitive, but they're but supportive. It, it's supportive. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. You know, in the beginning at the amateur level, yep. yeah, you see the – and I speak for women and the men, I'll say the men are worse than the women as as far as like the drama and the – it's a vain, it's a vain sport. It, it right. is. But as far as the drama and the cattiness at the amateur level, yeah, you see it. But those people get weeded out really quickly, you know. Those people and, – and if they do succeed, they humble real fast yeah the more competitive they get right and so you're gonna, you're gonna meet people who are just absolutely. so much absolutely so you get humbled and so i reached pretty substantial success very quickly in the sport what was pretty substantial success just find? continually placing top yep. first place yes top two top three yep. you know nothing below that yep. and then i did my first national show so I did a show in march i did a show in may i decided i'm gonna prep myself for this first national show and I'm going to go pro. Oh my God, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't know. Um, but learning experience. So I did that national show and I had a blast. I did very poorly. I had imbalances in my physique that, you know, as an amateur then I didn't see. Yep. And I prepped myself. Did you get feedback? Did they oh, give you yeah. Feedback? So there's a whole judging panel. It's a whole system. There's a judging system. It is fair. Some say it is all, you know, paid off or like who you sleep with. I haven't slept with anyone except for my husband. So, and I'm still successful. So it is a judging panel. They are professionals outside of bodybuilding. Right. Um, so normal, everyday people, wonderful people. And so they, they give very honest feedback yep. and and i've learned a ton from and become friends with some of those individuals actually so from the standpoint of that first show i didn't do very well but i had fun lots of fun and then i realized okay i'm ready to take this to the next level that was my third show ever amazing mm -hmm. and so i'm like i need to get serious and i need to hire the best person that can get me to that trajectory where i'm gonna rock star it yeah and get to the top so i hired my coach kim odo he's local in california yep. he coaches people throughout the world i mean he is he's like the shit in the bodybuilding world yep. and i hired him my first show with him was then in november of 2014 yep i won my class and it was a completely different physique he's magic as long as you follow instructions any mentor can mentor you but if you don't listen if to what they're saying do the work. and do the work you got to do the work so i did the work i was a completely different person on that stage and I won my class. It was like, without a doubt, I almost won the show. Wow. The whole show. I came in second. I lost to my teammate. Like, great honor that is. It's Absolutely. like, oh, kept it in the family. So that was like the taste. And then we, you know, strategically started to talk about what shows, exposure to certain judges, that sort of thing. So I did a show in Northern California, top three again. Then I did my second national show ever, first with him, but second national show ever in Chicago. That was a, almost a breaking point. And, and the reason it's important um, for vets and for bodybuilders, for anyone, is you've got a dream. You've got you get just how bad do you want it, right? Back to that. Best physique as an amateur. Like this was, to me, I look back at those photos, best physique as an amateur. I came in pretty much last. And this was a, a slightly more competitive show from the standpoint of only first place would get you that pro card. And yep. it's a card. It's a professional status. They missed me. They missed me. And, and it happens when you have a group of 30, 40 competitors. Yeah, you can get missed. But I, I didn't get it. Yep. I didn't get it. So I was boohooing myself and sob storing and, well, oh, my God, why? It didn't hit me until the next morning. So the show it was a two-day show, which is tough physically and mentally. But the Sunday, we're getting ready. We're going to leave Chicago. My husband literally had to pick me up. And Chris Wilson, you are amazing. My husband literally had to pick me up from the ground from sobbing and ugly crying because I, it got in my head yep. that defeat. Yep. The 
so much sacrifice. And this is what was going through my head. And like I said, this can apply to anything, vet med, med school, law school, whatever you're trying to achieve. All this hard work, dedication, the money I've put into it because it's not, this is a very expensive sport. The finances, the sacrifice, the not going out with family and friends, you know, just being so consistent and just the hours, the blood, sweat and tears, literally. Right. And I didn't get it. Why? What happened? Is this right? Do I still want this? And I had to pray about it. I had to meditate about it. I had to soul search. And so he got me out of the funk. They, you know, we toured Chicago, had a few, you know, I let loose a little bit and I'm like, all right, cool. Go home. And I'm like, all right, do I want this? Fuck yeah, I want it. Yeah. Hell yeah. And guess what happened? I'm not going to give the ending away yet, but every single damn day, I would do my cardio or I would go to the gym all while I'm working full time as a dentist, being successful in the practice, taking care of my patients, taking care of my home life. My husband and I were married at that time already. Every single day I woke up, all I could think about was Dr. Jessica Wilson, DVM, IFBB professional, doctor. And I would write it down. I would speak it. I would write it. I would think it. It's all I thought about. Now, yeah, is that obsessive? Yeah, but obsession is what it takes sometimes. Just like when I was applying to vet schools and I'm like, I'm going to be Dr. Jessica. My name was different at that time, but I'm going to be doctor. I'm going to be Dr. DVM, you know, behind my last name. Six weeks later, I went pro in Las Vegas. You won? I won. In Vegas. Mm -hmm. Second place. Yep. But remember how I got that C in calculus? I still got into vet school. So second (laughs) place still got me that pro status. And I could let loose that evening because I didn't have a fancy photo shoot to do the next day that's kind of a thing but i did it what's the difference between being amateur and being pro what is the step i often wonder mm-hmm. and, that, and the question comes from a place of i want to interview another athlete who went to glasgow vet school um and she's a distance runner so 1500 but she's like the i don't run <laughs> Euro- european um Champion. won the diamond league wow. 1500 she just graduated out of glasgow so laura I want to meet you. But we need more athletes on this show to teach us more about it. But the question I wanted to ask her and the question I'll ask you, and the the reason I ask you what the difference is, is because I want to pitch this crazy idea to to her. And it's, um, she runs 1500s and it's, so it's Dave Nichol against Laura Muir running laps. Now, (laughs) I run, I, you know, I've done triathlon. Yeah. I'm not an athlete. But you are. Um, No. Not, not not in that league. Yeah. But you are. Right. So I thought, let's just have, let's just do like, 400 meter like laps and just see how badly so that's the challenge okay see how badly she whips me just to show the difference and the difference is almost to be able to say to veterinary professionals look this is the difference between somebody saying apple cider vinegar because i read it on google will cure lymphoma versus uh non-anesthetic dentistry that's yeah face plant face plant both of us the difference between that and what you do as a veterinary professional so i'm just curious what was the difference when you went from amateur to professional what does a day in your life look like from the point of view of training and mm-hmm. are you now doing any active veterinary i know you've just mm-hmm, moved jobs mm-hmm. but what's the balance for you now the balance okay so so i guess the first question is difference between amateur and pro in our bodybuilding world and so amateurs you're an amateur you can't move up in the sport you, you can still develop a business you can still um, get sponsored you can still achieve those things but you can't make money off the sport, literally out of the competitions. Now, at the pro level, the sky's the limit. 
it really is. So, so you can earn a whole different whole bunch different, of competitions. Yeah. People are going to look at you differently. Sponsors are going to, you know, companies, clothing companies, supplement yeah. companies. Yeah. And you just, you solidify yourself as an athlete in, yeah. in the world. Like you earn pro status. You, you worked really hard. <laughs> I mean, everybody works hard, but you really went above and beyond and is this now a different and group of competitions of both nationals that's yes. just pro entry yeah only. so now i have the ability to complete compete anywhere in the world okay it's an international federation and you have a little say a little <laughs> plan i do i have a little plan it's a little it might get a little derailed but you know that's okay because everything happens for a reason so plans Mike and my coach Kim we, he he designs everything and we health comes first though health comes first and so that's a little bit about the derailment but my plans for this upcoming season 2019 is to make it to the Olympia so now the Olympia the pinnacle it is of... the pinnacle it is the Super Bowl it is the World Cup it is the playoffs it is the the Olympus, literally, it's the highest you can go. And so, and if you win it, great. My good friend Angelica is the, the reigning champ two years in a row. I just want to be there. It's a bucket list kind of thing. I just want to be on that stage at least once in my life. More than once, cool, great, but at least once. So the plan for next year, I'm going to do an international show. Well, I'm still going there whether I get to do the show or not. I am dealing with an injury uh, currently that is inhibiting my ability to train the way I need to. But Japan, there is going to be a show in Japan in February. And if I get to be in it, amazing. If I don't, I'm still going. <laughs> so Muscle Contest is the show um, in Japan. So that is one of the perks of becoming a pro is you can compete anywhere in the world and you can you can make a purse so you you have cash prizes depending on where you play so top three to top five in your division you will be able to earn prize money and so i mean it's it's not huge amounts of money unless you're on the that olympia stage or the arnold that's that's a big show as well but hey if it pays your flight and hotel cool you, you won something right that is the difference between the amateur and the pro now i know many pros that get their pro status and then never compete again and that's okay too because everyone's goals are different. For right. me, I want to take it above and beyond to that next step. And I'll get there. It's just about the timing. Sometimes we can't control that. So right. that's okay. What does a day in the life for training look like? And that's a good thing to relate. Because many of us in veterinary medicine, you know, we eat crap. Uh, we work long hours. Mm-hmm. We don't we take care benefit. of ourselves. No, we don't. We're rubbish at self-care. So give us a sense of what your day looks like now. How do you get to shred? Yeah. <laughs> but what for us mortals? <laughs> What can we do to improve? And, you know, if, if we have five or 10 minutes, what would you say would be the best exercise we could do just to improve mentally, you know, maybe some strength? Yeah. What would um, you do? I'll just say a day in the life, and, and I'll get into a day in the life back when I was in clinical practice, and then a day in the life now, because they're a little bit different. But still, the consistencies, you'll notice it. So, I mean, back when I was in, I was practicing dentistry and oral surgery, and I and I left that about a year, a little over a year ago, because I had to evolve. It wasn't the right fit for my life at the time anymore. I love dentistry, and I promote it, and it's so important. But the capacity I was in was just not quite the right fit. So I made a move. But back then, and same now, wake up, and everybody's schedule's different, but this is just an example of mine. I would wake up. I'd go to the gym, get my cardio done. Now, cardiovascular activity and an athlete that's competitive, it's going to vary depending on how close to a show 
we are. So it may be 20 minutes, it may be 50, it may be an hour and 10, it may be different intensity, I may have to sprint, I may, you know, it all just varies. But long story short, I'd get to the gym, get that cardio done, do my weightlifting session, or if I felt like, man, I'm tired today, I don't want to do this fasted on an empty stomach, or even with just breakfast, then I'd wait until, all right, whatever my work day is going to look like, I'll get through my surgeries, and then I'll hit the gym after. At least I'll have fuel, you know, I'll, I'll have meals in my belly, and, and you know, I'll, I'll have a little bit more energy. So that's the only variable. Sometimes I'd lift in the morning, sometimes I'd have to do it later in the day. The extremely important component about the sport is the nutrition. The gym's fun and all, and anybody can go to the gym and you can train, but your nutrition is everything. Like you've heard that saying, abs are made in the kitchen. They really are. So my coach, um, who is a nutritionist as well, designed my meal plan. And, and I'm at the point now where I can absolutely do this on my own, but I would rather just leave it to him. He knows my body. He knows what I respond to. And we're still learning. But I had a meal plan and just follow it just following it, being prepared with all of my meals, making sure I have all of my food with me so that I'm not tempted to get snack on the cookies that that client brought us or the, the cake that's in the, uh, you know, in the break room or, oh, the, the vending machine, let me get a soda. Those are the temptations that really, that's where the discipline really comes in for yeah. me, at least, is the nutrition. You know, lifting weights is fun. Anybody can do it. Running or doing whatever cardio you want is fun. Anybody can do it. But sticking to that meal plan and the schedule and making sure you're eating enough. And my metabolism gets to the point during, you know, when I'm really intense and about to be in a show two to four weeks out, my I burn through food so fast that I'm eating tons of calories a day and getting fed more. And by getting fed, meaning, hey, I dropped weight and my coach will say, okay, go have a steak or a burger or what have you. My metabolism would get so insane that I'd have to eat every two hours. That's how nuts it can be. So that was kind of a day in the life. So get my patients taken care of, get all my charts written up, go home, get ready for the next day. So it doesn't really grant itself to a lot of social time. You have to be in a certain mindset in a zone. So that's what a day in the life back then looked like. And guess what? It's still kind of the same. My last show was back in April of 2018 in Utah, and I needed to take a step back from the stage because, again, that damn metabolism, I don't build muscle very easily. And I was just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and as a competitor, you've got to have muscle density and size and maturity. And I have everything except for the size. And, and I'm a natural athlete. So ugh, it's going to take time. And I'm a little older than some of the competitors. Some of these girls are in their, you know, mid-20s, started lifting way long time ago. I didn't start until I was 32 after I, you know, was paralyzed in the hospital with hypoxia to the brain. So I had a little bit um, to catch up. So, yeah. but the discipline has remained consistent. So I had to work through an off season of just increased calories, less cardio, you know, a little bit more leisure time, a little bit more relaxation to that extent and starting a prep and now I have this injury. So, but my day to day still looks the same from the standpoint of what I did the past year. I worked with Lap of Love with, and I met Mary Gardner a conference and she hired me and I did that for about a year and man I loved it but it ended up not being the right fit toward the end for many reasons and now I work for just food for dogs and my routine's going to be a little different because it, my role is going to require a lot of travel so this is all going to be a new adjustment for me but the key points are the consistency in nutrition nutrition as long as I stick to my nutrition and I miss a day at the gym it's not that big a deal. Or if I miss a cardio session, 
it's not that big a deal. And I have this, the knowledge base now where I don't even need a gym and I can still get an effective workout. That's my life now, but I still wake up 5, 5.30 a.m., sometimes 4, get to the gym, get it done. And I want to get to that, like, what can people do in 5 to 10 minutes? My best advice is take 10 to 15 minutes to get your meals in order versus jump and your hydration. Which Drink, drink, drink. I'm almost finished this bottle. I know, of water I know. I, well, I've been talking so much. I know. It's almost <laughs> unfair, isn't it? But that, honestly, before people like jump to, oh, what workouts can you do? No, no. Let's take care of the fundamentals. It's your fuel. It's fix, fix your hydration and nutrition first. But for vets, if there's any type of exercise that I would encourage or any body part, honestly, that I would encourage you guys to really pay it, start paying attention to. This is going to sound so stereotypical from like a a chick meathead bodybuilder. The glutes. The glutes are everything. You don't realize how important the power and the muscle is for your back health. For your spinal health, for just your everyday, your posture. So the glutes affect everything. If you have weak glutes, guess what? You're going to lift a heavy dog with your back instead of your glutes and your hamstrings. And that's where you tweak. Correct. Yep. So all you vets start working on your ass. Man, like, I do that all the time. All right, so, so tell, I'm interested <laughs> in this because like I'm forever, you know, if I have a massage, it's just a trigger point. Trigger point, yeah. Oh, God, it's so sore. But yeah, no, 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 if I don't get that, is. like I get a tweaky back. Yep. So what's, it's in the glutes. what can we do in like five, 10 minutes? Five, 10 minutes. So very, very simple. But it's a lot of it is about form, 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 because you can absolutely do these exercises incorrectly. And I unfortunately have been doing them incorrectly, not because I've con- I have hip dysplasia, you guys. I just found that out. So my... If, but, but sidebar <laughs> note, if any of you are looking for an excuse to... <laughs> crap out on something that really matters to you you have to check out jess's instagram knowing that she's got a displeasure <laughs> and knowing everything she's been through and then hopefully have a word with yourself i want to hear your glute answer yes and then i've got two more questions okay, okay, for okay. you all right i talk a lot guys sorry so glutes exercises so very important and, and the reason i mentioned the dysplasia is not that I was consciously doing these incorrectly, but my muscles just haven't been firing the right way because my anatomy is a little different. That's all. It's just changes in anatomy or differences in anatomy. And we're all different, but the fundamentals are the same. So squats are oh so important, but make sure that you are driving with your heels. So typically, yeah, I mean, and and I'll like stand and demo. I took my shoe off because my foot itched. So Dave is, this is an interesting picture, but, (laughs) you know, I just have to do the motion so I can really get into it. So, you know, imagine yourself, you're standing, right? And you don't have to use weights at all. I'm going to boomerang this for Instagram. Oh, let's do it. Should I keep my shoe off? Keep your shoe off. Okay, perfect. Because this is genuine and this is me because I don't like wearing shoes (laughs) ever. But I don't like touching grass, which is weird. It's the New Yorker. I'm touching grass. Okay, so I'm going to position myself here. So so, so right now, so I'm going to describe to the audience. So right now, I am, I'm standing and I have a chair behind me because this is a good demo. And so my feet are about shoulder distance apart yep. and I'm literally going to sit and then get back up really fast numerous times. So I'm going to sit and I'm going to stand and I'm going to sit and I'm going to stand. Sit, stand. He just boomeranged this and this is going to be great. Okay, <laughs> um, but this is great, you guys. Oh my gosh. So 
you sit and you stand and you sit and you stand. And the reason I say in the beginning, use that chair because that way you train your, you know, it's the neuro pathways, right? That's the right level. Correct. Right level. And now granted, we're all different heights, right? So this chair is perfect for me. Right, right. But you want to have your knees at about a 90 degree angle because our anatomy is different. You know, there's a big squat between the meatheads and the scientific meatheads. There's a big debate about angles and squats and things. But the point is practice that exercise and then do it without the chair. So that, you know, you know how deep you can go before you fall, right? Right, right. But you really, once you realize, okay, engage your heels, your heels, your weight should be on your heels, not your toes. Then you know you're really engaging those glutes. Another really good exercise is a lunge. But again, watching those angles, and there are so many YouTube videos. Um, I have a YouTube channel. I need to work on that. But there are so many, you have, the internet is filled with, I mean, we all know Dr. Google well. We can't stand him, right? Him or her, right? But take advantage of that. There are lots of really, really good sources online. And if you really, really want to get into it, just hire a trainer, a certified personal trainer, either with the NASM trainer, North American Sports Medicine. Oh, I don't know the act. Oh, uh, oh, damn. I need to get that right. But NASM, so a certified personal trainer. There are many different credentialing agencies for that. So hire a trainer to do an assessment because that's the important thing. My role as a trainer is I need to assess people when they're going to do these exercises because you may have an anatomic difference where okay we're gonna have to modify the move but for the everyday just learning how to properly squat and then you can get up to adding weight pick up that 20 pound of dog food or you know what have you and use that you can do this can be really fun you guys in the clinic challenge your staff like do a 30-day squat challenge and then increase your weight but get the form right get the form right and then lunges so like you can play a game where all right there's a little downtime let's lunge from one end of the hallway to the next and whoever gets there faster with good form <laughs> or with the most burn, yeah. you know? Yeah. So those are the two exercises, honestly, that I would say are, are pretty important. Squats and lunges. Squats and lunges. Here. And a little core work too, but squats and lunges are going to really do right. do the best. The recurring theme here is how bad do you want it? Mm-hmm. And you've demonstrated time and time again, push through adversity. If you had to give one tip to somebody on how to connect with something and how to how to get that inner fire. Do you have a tip that you could give to somebody? Or is this someone, something that's just innate within you? This is, I hadn't thought of this. So I'm glad you asked. This is a good question. How bad do you want it? Part of it, I think it is innate. Really, we're all different personalities. And our drives are going to be different. But you have to really find out what your why is. It's all about why. Why do you want it? How bad do you want it is one thing, because how bad do I want to have long hair? Well, I wanted it so badly that I got extensions put in, right? Or how bad do I want to lose those five pounds? But why do you want to lose five pounds? Because you want to fit into a certain outfit for a certain date? Or is it a health issue where you need to lose five pounds? Or how bad do I want to get stronger because I can't restrain that dog? You know, so... I think that the most important thing to consider is your why. We have to figure out what our why is. I wanted to be a vet. Why? I mean, I knew I wanted it. I always knew why. I want to be the advocate. And I don't want to be an advocate just in a local setting like or or locally, you know, the micro, you know, the the two dogs and cats or the two procedures that I could do four times a week when I worked in that capacity. Now I'm my career has evolved in a way where now I'm going to go global with the why of helping 
our patients, right? But you've got to find out what your why is. That's the big thing. Get into Simon Sinek's books immediately if you can, right? Okay, <laughs> last question then. You've got a great positive influence, built a position, amazing what you do. Congratulations on all of that. Is there a message you would give to your sisters and brothers out there in the profession? If there was a message you want Absolutely. to convey, what would that message there be? There sure is. Own your power. You can do anything you want to do in this lifetime, not just career-wise. Don't get intimidated. Don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to make a move that you didn't expect to make because you just never know where you're going to end up. You will end up somewhere great. You're going to shit your pants on the ride, but you're going to end up somewhere great. Just own the power. Own your power. Your doctors, my friends, do you know how long that took you? Yeah, of course you do. Do you know the sacrifices you made? Of course you do. Don't let anyone take away your power, ever. I love it. On that note, Dr. Jessica, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Dr. Dave. Best of luck getting over your injury. That can be frustrating, being in that street plenty. Yeah. Good luck getting to Olympia and competing. Thank you. And um, thank you for everything you do and the inspirational message. Born rocking. Thank you so much. I will represent you all well. I will be the first veterinarian on the Olympics. I'm slurring my speech because I'm so excited. Guys, I will be the first veterinarian on that Olympia stage. I look forward to cheering for you there. Thank you. So folks, just me again before you head off. Two things. Firstly, if you're enjoying the show, if you're learning from the many varied and wonderful guests, please do me a favor. Shout them out on social. Tell them you heard the podcast and tell them how it impacted you. I know they always love hearing that stuff. Also, leave me a review on iTunes if you're enjoying the show as well. It always helps to get more exposure. Uh, And finally, please check out VetexThrive.com, today's show sponsor, if you wish to take control of your career and have more fun, longevity, and success as a veterinary surgeon. Until next time, be safe, be well, be happy. Dr. Dave, out.